listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. All right, and I don't mean to oversimplify this, but I do want to tell you a story, listeners. I want to welcome you to Maternity Rx. Maternity Rx is a place that I do not belong. Goodness gracious, I am not a nurse. I am not a pharmacist or a physician, but I am passionate about what pharmacists are doing. And our pharmacists are now going into specialties. I think of the board of specialties and I think of how pharmacists are going to help create new boards of phar- boards of pharmacy and specialties and really digging down into things like technology, artificial intelligence, the future of predictive modeling, pharmacogenomics, which actually will tie back into this discussion as we move forward. But I want to welcome the Pharmacy Podcast Network to a new show that we're doing with Dr. Danielle Plummer, who is a passionate pharmacist about not only maternity, but coincidentally PGX. But before I do, I got to tell you a story. And that story is, coincidentally, the word plumber. What do plumbers do? Well, they assure that people's um, water systems from a, um, a an engineering perspective um, work the way that they're supposed to. Uh, install, repair, water, gas, um, systems, fiber optics even. And I think, hmm, if plumbers had to go to the uh, contractor of this project every time and say to them, can I use my uh, crimper? Can I use my pipe fitter? Can I use one of my specific tools that a plumber has been designed from the very beginning to use because that's exactly what they're designed to do is do this exact thing. And then I think of pharmacists and I say, why is pharmacogenomics not in a permanent tool bag where they pull out that scientific-driven evidence-based tool every time they want to dig into a patient's um, medication's needs and assuring that you're not allergic or you're not able to metabolize or whatever it is. And so the future of medicine, the future of healthcare, and definitely the future of pharmacy care will be different than it is today. And we get to be a tiny little part of it without further ado. Danielle. I am so excited to welcome you to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Todd, I can't thank you enough. And I am so amazingly excited to be here. We've been talking about this for a long time. I've collaborated with you, with your other hosts and other pharmacists for many years now. And to bring this to such a larger audience, the need is there and it's so important. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for the story as well. (laughs) Absolutely. We have these tools and as pharmacists, we are just empowered with them. But somewhere along the way, we didn't have the advocacy and the strength. And my heritage where I come from, we say chutzpah. But uh, to get this out there and get it to the patients who need the care and then fill this gap. So I have an amazing guest today. But first, I want to talk about what it is, why I'm here. So welcome, everyone, to the inaugural Maternity Rx episode on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The series is put together to empower pharmacists to help turn around maternal morbidity and mortality rates. This now constitutes a public health crisis we have going on in the United States. Now that's the U.S. around the world. I mean, we're comparing to developed country, developing countries. It's right where we're on par with them. So it's it's we have we have help around the world. I know you have listeners around the world. So pregnant women often fall into this hole in healthcare, especially post 
well, not postpartum and antipartum care. It's that labor and delivery where we seem to have practitioners from collaborative teams really stepping on. But what happens before and after? And they're lost out there. Pharmacists are perfectly aligned to fill this gap. Studies have shown, right, we're the most accessible and one of the most trusted healthcare providers. So a little bit about me. I am Dr. Danielle Plummer. As Todd said, I'm a pharmacist and certified doula. I am a third-generation pharmacist. I received my doctor of pharmacy degree from Creighton University in 2016, my doula certification from the International Doula Institute in 2021, and became certified in pharmacogenetics through RX Genomics in 2021. Over the last decades, I've worked in decade, I've worked in many areas of pharmacy, including seven years in retail, from being an intern to a pharmacy manager, seven years as a hospital pharmacist. And now I work in diagnostic biomarkers as a medical science liaison focusing on maternal health. So it was actually though my experiences suffering from extreme nausea and vomiting throughout three pregnancies prior to becoming a pharmacist that led me to start blogging in 2019 as HG pharmacist for women with hyperemesis gravidarum. I soon had pregnant women from around the world asking me for help with questions ranging from, well, you might say as a pharmacist, it's a simple question. How do I have my voice heard? How do I get believed? to very complex medication questions. This then led me to launch my consulting company, which is now rebranded and called Obstetrics, O-B-S-T-E-T hyphen R-X, to do everything that the obstetrician does not, from patient advocacy to personalized medication management. So before we get started with our conversation today, just a quick disclaimer, everything I say in this podcast is strictly my own opinion and not a reflection of any company where I work. But enough about me. I have this amazing guest here today, Nicole Jervenick Hogue, and please correct me if I did not pronounce any of those first um, or soon to be last name correctly. Nicole graduated with her PharmD from Concordia University, Wisconsin School of Pharmacy in 2020, and went on to complete a PGY1 residency at Ascension St. Vincent in Indianapolis, Indiana. In her residency, she was able to have the unique experience of integrating into a woman's health team focused on high-risk obstetric populations. She joined Riley Children's Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana in August of 2021 as a hybrid pharmacist and is now the lead OB clinical pharmacist in the Mother Baby Tower that opened in 2021. She's passionate about decreasing morbidity and mortality in our pregnant populations and advancing the practice of pharmacy in women's health. She is excited for what we can do as pharmacists in all areas to create change. So Nicole, I want you to introduce yourself, but if you don't mind just holding off one second, let's talk about these maternal healthcare statistics, which are truly alarming. So a maternal death is defined by the World Health Organization, which is the definition used by the CDC as the death of a woman while pregnant or within 42 days of termination of pregnancy, irrespective of the duration inside of the pregnancy from any cause related to or aggravated by the pregnancy or its management, but not from accidental or incidental causes. According to the CDC, maternal mortality rates are the number of maternal deaths per 100,000 live births. They then group this by age, race, and Hispanic origin. So listen to these 2021 numbers. 1,205 women died of maternal causes in the United States. This is increasing. In 2020, it was 861. 
And in 2019, it was 752. Did anybody know we have so many pregnant women dying from being pregnant? This blew my mind. I'm sure you're on the same page there with me. The maternal mortality rate for 2021 was 32.9 deaths per 100,000 live births, again, increasing from 2019 and 2020. In 2021, the maternal mortality rate for non-Hispanic Blacks, and they have in parentheses subsequently Black women, was 69 deaths per 100,000 live births. Let me repeat that. 69.9 deaths per 100,000 live births. I don't know about you, but I'm getting chills and I'm distraught just reading this. 2.6 times the rate for non-Hispanic white, subsequently white women. Rates for Black women were significantly higher than rates for white and Hispanic women. Again, increased, and this is for all race and Hispanic origin groups, the increases from 2020 to 2021 were significant. Rates increased with maternal age. In 2021, this were 20.4 deaths per 100,000 live births for women under 25. 25 to 39, we're looking at 31.3. And those aged 40 and over, 138.5 deaths per 100,000 live births. So let's just sit on that for a minute. We're talking live births. That's not including all the women who didn't make it to term. The baby didn't make it to term. We have a, a lot that, a lot else is going on within these numbers, but as black and white numbers alone, these are terribly frightening. The rate for women aged 40 and over was 6.8 times higher than the rate for women under 25. Now, if anyone like Nicole and myself work in a hospital, you know we have a lot of women aged 40 and over giving birth. So why this is happening is complex and another story for another time for another conversation. But Nicole, you have, I'm just so impressed with what you've done and how you got to where you're doing and what a role model for pharmacists and, and where our profession is going. So I'm going to turn the mic over to you. Tell us about how you got to where we are and what it is that you do, because you're breaking barriers that needed to be broken. Thank you so much, Danielle, for that introduction. And first, I just have to say I am I have goosebumps from all of those numbers, because it is staggering to see those numbers on the rise rather than on the decline. So thank you for sharing those, because I think that's why we're here. We're here to raise that awareness so that we can really turn those numbers down. And yeah, so just as a little correction, my last name, it's Jervnak is my maiden name. And you will now see me as Nicole Haig. Um, so that is what I'm going to be known as moving forwards. But I have been able to really break down some barriers that were and are present in a lot of labor and delivery and maternal wings of hospitals um, at Riley Children's Hospital. So in my residency, since I had the experience at Ascension St. Vincent of working with high-risk OB populations, I was able to see how a pharmacist could intervene on the smallest level in order to ensure that maybe that mom who was there at 24 weeks could make it to 34 weeks of pregnancy. Whether that was helping adjusting insulin regimens, adding aspirin, really optimizing um, hypertension medications, you know, there, there were a lot of impacts that that pharmacist could make. And so I just felt like all the stars were aligning in my life that, you know, this was going to be the road I was going to go down. And then when Riley announced that they were going to be moving their maternity wing from an adult hospital to a children's hospital, um, 
I saw a job opportunity and I accepted a hybrid role, which I was working 50% on the pediatric side and then 50% in the maternal side. And really that has only grown and expanded. But to back up a little bit, I will say that when I walked onto that floor the first day that we opened, most of those providers, I had never worked with a pharmacist in person before. They had maybe had their orders rejected or maybe someone had reached out to them, but never really had they seen me face to face. And so I walked up to our maternal fetal medicine team um, because Riley Children's Hospital is under Indiana University um, Hospitals. So I work in an academic medical center. And I walked up to our team as they are getting ready to round on their first day. And I recognized them. I knew that they were the crew who was going around um, to all of our high-risk antepartum moms. And I just introduced myself to the medical director and said, you know, I really would love to see your rounding process. And would you be okay if I would come with you so that I can get to know these patients and hear their stories to best help um, with their medical care? And they were very welcoming to me, which I was very blessed with that because I was very nervous to say those words to them. But they let me round with them right away from day one. Um, and so being able to do that um, really has allowed for the pharmacist to continuously um, work on intervening into more areas of their care. So not only are we working with antepartum moms, but we work with the postpartum moms. Um, we're thinking of ways that we can help with preventative care before they can even get, um, they even are admitted to the hospital, whether that's for a healthy birth at um, 37, you know, 40 weeks or beyond uh, versus coming in to stay in our high risk unit for a few months. We also now are working with some of our patients who are in our OBED um, and making sure that they're getting the correct medical information and correct patient education for what they should be looking for to ensure that they're um, counting the kicks properly um, in their third trimester and alerting their doctor for um, any sort of stillbirth concern. So really, my job has turned into a very expansive role. And one of the roles that we really love doing too is there's four of us on a team now. And we also are responsible for educating our entire pediatric pharmacy population as they most of our pharmacists had never worked with adults before. And so this group of new patients just terrified them. And so we've been working really hard to create a solid education system that helps our pharmacists be able to identify um, medication issues in these patients and then create um, recommendations and give recommendations that are accurate and that they feel confident in, or they know at least how to go and find that information now. Nicole, I mean, it's truly just incredible. It's you're, like I said, breaking barriers to get a pharmacist. Now we've seen when pharmacists have been added to emergency rooms, when they've been added to pre-op and PACU, you know, of course they've been rounding. And in the ICU, initially, there's always that pharmacist stay out of my territory. At least that's been my experience and what I've heard from older pharmacists, previous generation pharmacists. Once they have us there, oh my gosh, they're like, where's the pharmacist? Why aren't you here all the time, right? It's like, you've done things. When I work per diem, 
I, I sit in the often if I'm not doing one of the decentralized positions, I'll sit in the, the pharmacy and I look at these orders and we have these big chunks of these OB order sets, depending if they're having a C-section or not. And I've been always told, you know, look for anything that, of course, looks dangerous, drug, drug interactions, you know, you know, what we do clinically as a pharmacist. But for the most part, we're hands off. The order sets are pre-built. And I remember one time seeing not one time on an order set. So it was repeated like we're seeing sleep medications on these patients that have had c-sections potentially or i was like why why is this on here so how do you get through to one of the things you told me you do is fix these order sets so that they're safer for these patients and how did you get through who do you talk to to do that how would you advise a pharmacist when you're sitting in the pharmacy not on the floor like you are not rounding they don't know your face how do you, who would you talk to to go, hey, I don't think this is the safest for your pharmacy. I mean, from pharmacy for your floor, how do you even begin to have that strength or the fortitude or who know who to talk to? Well, and I think you pointed out something that's really important is the first thing is stopping and asking the question of, is this necessary or how will this help my patient or is this benefiting my patient and thinking of risk versus benefit. Because that's so true when it comes to pregnant populations, a lot of the questions we're asking is what's the benefit and what's the risk, not just for mom, but also for a baby who's growing. So that's the first step is identifying that option. And I, I think a great example is um, we are reassessing, we're reassessing how um, our post-op anesthesia orders were being used and the use of haloperidol. Um, and so the question was, well, why are we using this, um, this order set power plan, whatever EHR you're using? Um, why are we selecting this power plan? And why was Haloperidol ever um, added to this power plan? You and can't so see my so, face, but my jaws dropped. Dude, Haloperidol yeah. on. Haloperidol <laughs> was very popular. We, I don't know. And I don't understand why. So that was, it was a group of us who were new to this, this population who are not used to it, but we did, we went, I just reached out to a resident. This was before I was rounding with us. And I said, how, how does this help this pregnant patient? And what, what are you seeing as the benefits for adding haloperidol to this regimen? And the response was, I don't know, it's on the order set. So, okay. Mm -hmm. So that answered my first question. This is on an order set. It's pre-checked. And then my other question that I went to one of my um, clinical managers about was who makes these order sets, who is reviewing these order sets. And that led me down a bunny trail, a little rabbit hole, I guess. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. And that's, I, I think it's, it's following those things, right? So you need to ask all those questions and stay curious and really think about the application because then you get to this point of it's lived on this order set for years and it hasn't been revised. And that's how we ended up getting it removed was not because of maybe a doctor recognizing it because they are so busy trying to get their orders in for all of their patients that they are really relying on some of these pre-checked items. But as a pharmacist, we can say, is this pre-checked item necessary for this patient? So that allowed for us to revise that entire power plan and say, does this align with clinical guidelines? Is this aligning with the patients we're serving? And that's really kind of a niche role, niche role I've been able to play as well, is looking at power plans and identifying, again, I, I live in a Cerner world, so sorry, I'm, I'm calling them power plans. 
But that's um, where I come from as well. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, epic people. So like and others. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's identifying those things and being able to say, is this safe? Are the doses accurate with our latest guidelines? Are the doses, is the timing correct? Does this route make sense? Um, we actually identified an area of improvement that had a huge risk area was um, with the way that we are giving magnesium for patients in preeclampsia because it was written very similar or it, it was basically written. So it sounded like a patient who didn't have eclampsia was going to be getting all these extra bolus doses that were meant for a patient who was actually in an eclamptic seizure, not responding to an initial magnesium bolus. But just being able to be aware and thinking through those steps has really allowed for our team to suddenly be like, oh my gosh, you saw those things? You caught that error? Like, how can we fix it? And that's where a pharmacist can step in because our doctors are just you know, they're running around, they're trying to serve as many patients as possible. And so are we, but we do have that a little bit more time and capability to say, let me take that from you because I want to reduce the error. I want to reduce the risk of that happening again in the future. So if you're okay with it, can I review that power plan? And I'm going to come back to you with my suggested changes. And that's, that's kind of how I approached it initially. I did have management support on that. Um, and I had a lot, I had a lot of support in different areas of pharmacy to kind of start doing that. Um, and then once I got in, I mean, I have a lot of power plans in front of me on a daily basis, um, or making new ones that are more applicable to the OB population versus being in the a general adult population power plan type of situation too. And you do something else special. We talked about these maternal mortality rates, morbidity and mortality. Now, morbidity, of course, is all encompassing with many different disease states. But you mentioned preeclampsia and the magnesium. Mm -hmm. So we're a pharmacist. We're verifying orders at our computer. We see magnesium. We see a pregnant woman. We're just going to make sure that, you know, are, is it is it there in the Pixis or how do you know, do we need to send it to them? Is it me? You know, is the dose, is the, the rate correct? Right. But I don't think it would occur to most of us then to go, hey, is this person in a preeclamptic state or a clamptic state? We don't know. And we've never been trained. I'm going to speak generally to look for that. And I'm speaking that way because I now am working with preeclamptic biomarkers and learning about preeclampsia. And what I've learned as well is there's no cure, delivery of that baby. So the younger the baby or the less weeks the mom is along in the pregnancy, the higher the risk that mom needs to get to a hospital with that NICU level. Each day that mom can, can stay pregnant and not deliver, those outcomes for the future of that child are profound. So you talked about what is the one thing a pharmacist can do, and that's aspirin dosing, right? So tell us how you're working with these patients to determine if they need aspirin or not and then what would be the best dose? Is that correct? Yeah, so one of the daily tasks I try to identify um, is on our patients who are coming in through the OBED for multiple different reasons. Um, sometimes it's because of access or lack of access, I should say, to a practitioner. And so they are able to come through our OBED and they maybe are looking for more general care and then we can establish care at that point. But something I can do at that point as a pharmacist is assessing that patient um, to see if they fit into any of the high risk or medium risk um, categories for what 
um, ACOG and the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine qualify for a patient to be started on a low dose baby aspirin. And that's because when you start a patient who's pregnant on low dose baby aspirin, just that 81 milligrams once a day, um, you know, you decrease, it's the only medication that has been associated with being able to actually decrease the risk of having preeclampsia. So just making that intervention is such a small intervention, but in the long run, it's actually a large intervention to allow for a patient to be started on a medication that could possibly allow for them not to even end up in the hospital, or maybe they still have preeclampsia, but instead of having preeclampsia, having those high blood pressures, um, and that serum creatinine, um, you know, all, all the different markers that they're looking for, um, having that at 24 weeks versus having that at 34 weeks is a, that is a big difference for both mom and for baby. Um, when we think about like lung development, for instance, um, so that's something that I really try to do on the OBED side. And then also when I'm looking on our, on my high risk unit at all of our antepartum moms, assessing if they're in for gestational hypertension or if they have a history of chronic hypertension, but maybe they're here for other reasons and looking at their medication profile and seeing if baby aspirin has been initiated um, from their outside OB, or if that's something that we can start and then have an education and continue upon discharge um, again with education as well. So that's one way that, you know, our team tries to really impact the care of these patients as well. So as you said, like preeclampsia is, it's a very severe, you know, disease state that unfortunately when women are diagnosed with this, you end up in the hospital. And I see a lot of women staying on our high risk unit from weeks 27 until pop delivery typically at 34 weeks. And so it also decreased costs for the patient if you don't have to come in at, at that time as well too. So there's a lot of benefits in trying to really help identify those patients to ensure that we're, we're decreasing um, not only like their health outcome, but also economic burden as well. And the economic burden is enormous. We uh, the statistics I gave are were mortality rates, but when we put numbers to this in our healthcare system, it's unaffordable. It's just um, it's it's unbelievable. So each one day in the hospital, you're looking at that bills that how are you going to get out from underneath that? Yeah. Um, and you you mentioned the. OBED. And I was not aware that this even exists until recently because I specialize in antipartum maternal health. So my women are all coming into the general emergency room where I come from. I found out at 20 weeks, these women know just from their OB telling them, don't go to the general emergency room. You're going to go to the second floor, go to our OB triage. Is that how it works where you are, Nicole? Yeah. So we, um, Again, it's this brand new tower, so it worked out well. But um, basically, all of our moms, no matter the week you are, if you are nine, nine and six, or nine weeks and six days, you will end up being transferred to our center if you're needing uh, medical wow, attention. Wow, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So, so you'll come in through the our. We have an OBED, um, and we have a labor and delivery unit an OBICU, and then high risk. And so that is all dedicated to our OB populations. And then we have two floors of uh, postpartum care as well. Amazing. So I'm going to give a shout out to all the retail pharmacists out there. If you see women coming in, you're pregnant women coming into your pharmacy for hypertension medications, for diabetic medications, 
let them know, find out what your local hospital does and where they should go. Because a lot of the women at that time, you have, especially in the first pregnancy, you haven't even met your OB yet. A lot of women are choosing to do midwives now. And having been at ACOG um, last week, I just learned like there's just not enough OBs for the amount of pregnant women in the United States. To become mm -hmm. an MFM, not only are you going to med school, you're doing your residency to become an obstetrician, but then you're doing another three years to become that specialist, that MFM, internal fetal medicine specialist. So, wow. Pharmacists in the retail world, please keep your eye out. When you see women that are pregnant, they're looking maybe a little swollen, feeling dizzy, headache, asking you for advice. Let them know, hey, have you been checked out for how are you? Do you have a home blood pressure kit? Have you discussed aspirin with your with your doctor, whoever you're seeing at this moment in time? And if you need to go to the emergency room, what is the procedure at your local hospital? Because we know if you're not sick, you don't want to be in the emergency room. I think COVID brought that to light greater than ever before. So, Nicole, give us some maybe three keys of advice, pieces of advice for our pharmacists. One I'm going to start with, have the strength to speak up. Don't don't just accept the status quo that the 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 um procedures haven't changed and uh, procedures is not the right word but the standards thank you todd one two three the, todd so you're listening to this like you said it's not your background but with nicole and i talking one thing that i learned i want to share with you and everyone else was that standards haven't changed in decades pharmacists, whether you're retail or in the hospital or in this perfect place to go, wait a minute, we have these maternal mortality rates, morbidity rates are through the roof. Pharmacists can now look at these, ask, look at our pregnant women, ask them these questions so that they are armed with information to bring to their provider. And Nicole, I'm going to turn it back to you then. Three pieces of advice. One, I'm going to start with to have that strength to go speak up when you see something that needs improvement. What else would you add in summary? I would also add that if a medication does not look right to you um, and you would not start that in a typical adult patient to ask further questions as well and do some research into the background because these there's a lot of complications that can occur um, in a pregnant patient and the OB provider is just trying their best to treat it as well as they know, but they might not be a cardiology specialist. So really trying to be an assistant to those providers to help with that thinking process as well when you're on that inpatient side. And then on the outpatient side, I think, you know, retail ambulatory care, again, Danielle, like you said, to really check in with your pregnant patients. There's a lot that's going on in pregnancy. Are they having unusual nausea and vomiting? Are they having yeah, are they seeing spots in their vision? Are, are they really struggling with being very tired? Um, and really just trying to assess some of those, that information can be really helpful to maybe guiding them to a different provider or guiding them to go and actually seek care from their provider. It's also a great way to assess if they're taking a prenatal vitamin and that's so important as well. And then, you know, trying to help them if they're having issues with constipation and, um, you know, or again, nausea from a prenatal vitamin, because many women do not like prenatals. So, you know, there's a lot of places where a pharmacist can intervene. And just remembering that just because a patient is pregnant does not mean that um, you have lost any power to intervene with them and to really make an impact, because you definitely can. 
And let's repeat that. I love that. Just because you're pregnant, you have not lost power. And that is the most important key takeaway for pharmacists and for our pregnant moms out there because they feel that way. They feel there's a phrase now, right? Medically gaslighted. They feel not heard. And that was one of the things I said in my introduction. They reach out to me because they want their voices heard. And this is this is taking back that power. We are pregnant women out. We are pregnant women. We've raised children. We need to support future generations and um, turn these statistics around because there's no reason for this. It's truly unacceptable. I want to add one more thing, Nicole, that may or may not fall into these statistics by the CDC, and that's homicide being the leading cause of maternal mortality uh, new research shows a link to firearms and intimate partner violence. Homicide's a leading cause of death in pregnancy and just after giving birth. And then suicide rates in this period are rising. This is what the research is showing. So if you're working retail, you have friends, family that are pregnant, please keep an eye out for that and speak up as well. Terrifying. And again, I don't think those are in the CDC numbers. Those are strictly hospital births that we're looking at. So always, always supporting maternal mental health and um, taking that power back and being in charge of our healthcare system. Nicole, thank you so, so so much. I want to tell everyone out there, please like this, share it and reach out to us. You can find me online at HG Pharmacist. I'm on LinkedIn, of course. Nicole, how can how can our listeners find you if they're interested for more and more about how to do what you what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, thank you as well for having me. It was so much fun to talk about these things. I know I feel like I could talk for hours. <laughs> I'm glad we kept it short. It was good job on our part. <laughs> But um, if you want to reach out to me, please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very, I try to be very responsive. Um, you can find me at Nicole Haig. Um, otherwise, if if you can't find me on LinkedIn, um, you can always email me. Um, it's nicole.jervanak at gmail.com. And I'm pretty responsive as well, too. And thank you again for taking time out of your day to come on and tell everyone your story. And to all the pharmacists out there, you can do this. You are in the perfect place to support these pregnant women and turn the statistics around. Nicole, Todd, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Danielle. Nicole, Danielle, welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We are so excited about Maternity Rx. If you, the listener, would help us reach other pharmacists regarding this content, as well as connections back to Danielle and Nicole, please share this episode in hashtag Maternity Rx so we can actually build a, a camaraderie and other influencers and actually other guests that could be possibly part of Nicole's new show. So we're excited. And once again, thank you, Danielle. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you.